Welcome to the Women's Business Workshop Podcast, episode 84. I am your host and small business coach, Robin Walker. We are approaching a time of year that can get really busy, and it's easy for business owners to get overwhelmed and just work on those urgent things and the day-to-day, but I challenge you to take action to avoid that happening in your business this year. How does some accountability and coaching sound to help you stay on track and increase your sales and profits through the end of the year? The Impact Business Circle is now open for new members. Hop in our mastermind for strategic planning, peer camaraderie, and the accountability that you know you need. Go to womensbusinessworkshop.com slash impact for details and quarterly bonuses. Today, we have a stellar episode for you with an amazing guest that is going to get you thinking and reflecting. Rebecca Maletke-Meslin is here to talk about fear, imposter syndrome, limiting beliefs, why women struggle to put themselves in video, maybe on their website or social media, or especially on a stage. There were so many aha moments and deep thoughts all the way to the very end. So it's a longer episode than usual, but it is worth every minute. Rebecca was a speaker at the 2023 Lakeside Conference speaking on these same topics. It was an honor to meet her in person, and she is someone that I have really enjoyed getting to know since. If you don't know her yet, check out the links in the show notes and go get connected with her. If you'd like to join us at the 2024 Lakeside Conference, save the date for February 29th. You can go to womensbusinessworkshop.com slash lakesideconference to learn about business sponsorships or to sign up to get notified when tickets launch. Now let's get to it. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thanks so much for having me, Robin. There's been tech issue after tech issue all morning. So Rebecca has been very patient and I appreciate it. Thank you for laughing along with me. Absolutely. It's about all you can do with tech <laughs> issues, right? Just, just laugh along, come up with a new solution. So Rebecca, will you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Yeah. So um, again, Rebecca Malatke-Meslin, I own Pleasantly Aggressive Coaching and Consulting, where I work with emerging female leaders, predominantly in the school and nonprofit space, who are looking to take control of their leadership journey and really ditch the habits that are holding them back from that growth. Um, I am a former school administrator. So for 14 years, I served um, working in independent schools as a director of marketing, communications, enrollment, financial aid. And I loved that work, but I saw a deep need within that industry to increase the number of women leaders. And I also identified one of the big problems is that we don't have enough supports in place um, specifically for women. And so um, I used my women's and gender studies and sociology background and, you know, kind of a lifetime of working in businesses um, and coaching and mentoring other women and pulled all of that together to start this business because it was a deep need within our industry. And I really felt like I could make an impact. Um, and so we've, uh, we've been around now for about a year, which is exciting um, after leaving, you know, a full-time job and becoming an entrepreneur. Um, but the early returns are amazing. And, you know, I'm able to make an impact every day on women's lives, which is incredibly fulfilling. And you definitely made an impact on our audience. Rebecca was a speaker at the last Lakeside Conference. So luckily I got to meet you in person, which is always one of my favorite things than to interview someone that I've already met in person is just a much better experience. So Rebecca was speaking about a lot of what we're going to be talking about today at the conference, 
but afterwards, Rebecca, and I haven't told you this yet, I received so many compliments on your session. So many people said that you really opened up their mind to some different ways of looking at things. Definitely a highlight of the event. So I appreciate you being there. Thank you. It was, um, I mean, aside from the fact that it was a ton of fun and I got a lot out of it as an attendee, um, that engagement with the audience um, was palpable. And I, I felt like I made a lot of strong connections and, and I'm so happy to hear that, that people felt impacted by it. I think we were kind of cruising through the event with some businessy topics and, you know, ideal client and hiring. And I strategically placed you at a certain point in the event when we are about to really push ourselves a little further. And I thought that was the perfect spot for you. But I saw people's eyes light up like, oh, okay, we're we're going for Here it. We Here go. we go. Buckle up. <laughs> it was wonderful. Great, great energy. <laughs> When you're working with women, what are the kind of things they're trying to do as far as up-leveling? Are they trying to up-level in their career or just speak out more passionately? What are some of the things you see that women are holding themselves back that they really want to do, but maybe are, are not quite ready to do them yet? You know, I think for a lot of women, whether it's entrepreneurs or women who are working for an organization they might set a goal for themselves of a promotion, right? They want to become a leader, a director, or maybe as an entrepreneur, they want to level up that business, maybe expand, grow, hire some new people. And all of those things, of course, come with fear, right? Because there's fear of failure. Um, I talk a lot about perfectionism, and I will say that's one of the greatest things holding women back. Now, that's not to say that men don't also experience levels of perfectionism as well. But when I talk about women, what I'm often talking about is how we're socialized from a very young age, the messages we receive externally from media, from families, from just culture and society that kind of dictate some of our behaviors, right? What is, what is an appropriate behavior and perfectionism, especially I would say in high achieving women. So we're talking about women who have aspirations and ambitions who want to own their own business or do own their own business. There's that feeling that uh, being a high achiever requires us to be perfectionistic, right? That we're striving for perfection. And ironically, it sounds like it's a good thing, right? It sounds like it's something that's going to push us towards reaching our goals. It can also be a huge hindrance. And although it may be that thing that is uh, has gotten you to the point that you're at, um, it's not going to get you to the next level. It's actually going to hold you back. And so I talk a lot with clients about what is really at the root of perfectionism, right? And it really is a fear of failure. And more importantly, just being focused on failure instead of focused on success. So we're like clearly defining what failure is going to look like. We're, we're perseverating over it. We're thinking about it a lot uh, instead of saying, okay, what does success look like? And what will that bring me, right? What kind of joy will that bring? What kind of financial freedom will that bring? What kind of career life balance will that bring if I step into those spaces? But instead, we're often thinking about all the ways it can go wrong, all the ways that we will look like a failure, um, especially when we're in more public spaces, right? Again, I'm going to say use entrepreneur as an example, because you, you know, you might be a solopreneur where the, you're the face, you're the only one. So any risk you take is going to fall solely on your shoulders. And that's a, a big burden to bear. So when we talk about perfectionism, it isn't just about an individual decision or task that you're executing on, it's your entire business. 
And that can be terrifying if we don't identify those fears and get real with ourselves about the root of what's holding us back. I see perfectionism as a mask almost, or a filter of a shield that if I put this up and every single thing is perfect, no one will see what's behind the mask and that imperfection going along with the whole imposter syndrome and what will people think? I hear that as we dig deeper, no one ever says that as the main reason when you say why, you know, well, why haven't you done that yet? It's never, what will people think? But the more you dig down, it really comes to what will people think? This isn't my expertise. They don't know me as this thing. And I went through that with being a teacher and then going into the business space. I've officially been in the business way longer than I was ever a teacher but there was, well, people see me as a teacher. So in my community, they're like, what do you know about business? And unfortunately, then people will say when I first started the conference, wait, you're doing this? You mean like all by yourself? Like you're not doing this for someone else? And you're like, yes, ma'am, I, mm. I can handle it. I have the skill set. But those reinforce that, that thing that you're telling yourself that everyone understands what I'm doing or they're going to think that I'm not qualified. I mean, maybe you're not that's okay. <laughs> right. But you're never going to be if you don't get on that train and start moving. Yeah. And you identify the, you know, the limiting beliefs are a big part of this, right. Telling ourselves uh, imposter syndrome, limiting beliefs. Um, and the other one that you touched on, cause it's the, what will people think is really that people pleasing side of things. And again, that is definitely way more prevalent for women than it is for men. Uh, people pleasing starts at a very young age. It starts with our teachers. It starts with our parents. It starts, and then it moves to bosses, right? Where we have this deeply ingrained idea that we have to be liked in order to be successful. And so we do everything we can to please others, to not be a burden on others, right? And to make ourselves smaller so as not to impose upon others. And we do all of these things uh, because we've been told that if you do all of these things, then you will be successful, or at the very least, you won't be a burden to anyone else. And all those subtle messages we receive become ingrained, and then we're trying to unlearn them. So when we think, you know, when we have that in our mind, like, what will people think of me, right? Well, the truth is, I and I mentioned this at the conference, but there's, and I can't uh, accredit who said it, but in your 20s, you care what everyone thinks of you. In your 40s, you stop caring what everyone thinks of you. And in your 60s, you realize nobody was really thinking about you anyway. So we put this huge burden on ourselves that says that everyone is thinking about us. Everyone is looking at us. Everyone is judging us, right? And to your point, yeah, to a small extent, there's going to be critics. There's going to be haters. There's going to be people out there who have a lot to say about what we're doing, but they are always the minority. They are always such a small faction of the greater population. And if we allow them to dictate our decision-making, our path, our journey, our ability to take risks and put ourselves out there, we're doing actually the other 98% of the the world a disservice, right? Because we have just limited ourselves for the people who are forcing us into a box. If you allow those other 98% who, who may not be as vocal, right? Who may not tell you how awesome you are and the great work that you're doing. But if we let the 2% limit us, that 98% never gets to see the, the wonder, the beauty, right? Of what we're capable of. And, and I know so many of the, the folks who listen and, and your clients, Robin, are folks who are really out there changing the world in big and small ways. So the thought that you would limit yourself 
and limit your impact because of some critics is, is crazy. And yet that's very much how we function because that fear of that criticism and that judgment is so great. I agree. And I think that 2%, a good chunk of them are actually jealous Mm. or envious that you are doing these things. And maybe there was something. So in that case of someone questioning, if I was qualified to run the conference the first year, I was not, (laughs) let me just tell you, I wasn't, I had a lot of really great help and a lot of people in my circles that had experiences to add, but it makes you wonder, do they have an event they've always wanted to put on? And are they the person that a couple of years later comes back and says, tell me how you did that. I've always wanted to do this thing, but they didn't realize them asking about it was really felt like criticism. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. I totally agree. When you were talking about the likability and how we all want to be liked. So I've got a counter for that. I'm reading Rachel Rogers books. We should all be billionaires. Yes. I can find the exact quote to put in the show notes. But what I have written down is a research study showed that agreeable women earn less than those who are disagreeable. So well, there's great, your permission. Right. Don't. It's like that, that great quote of well-behaved women rarely make history. Mm-hmm. Right. I consider myself a misbehaving woman most days. And, and it isn't, it isn't about me making history. It's about leaving a legacy. Right. And that's, I think what Rachel's getting at too is, is um, yeah, being agreeable. And I will say, you know, we're talking about business and and what's the one thing we talk most about, especially for entrepreneurs who are selling is the no like, and trust factor. Right. And like is in there mm-hmm. and we, you know, we sure. might want to define what that like piece is. And I really lean heavily into the trust piece. I wrote um, a blog post not that long ago that was talking about things that I wish that I knew in my first year as a leader, like first year in a director role. And one of them was, it's more important to be trusted than it is to be liked. And we conflate the two, right? And so likability to me is often wrapped up in, you know, whether or not we're smiling and whether or not we're agreeable and whether or not we're quiet when we need to be, you know, and, and doing those things that make us seem, well, less, less aggressive, right? A little more pleasant, a little less aggressive. And um, whereas as trust is really about building that relationship, which is why it's so important in business, right? We're trying to build trust with our clientele, with our customers, um, with other folks in the industry. And yet sometimes women conflate those two things. So defining those for ourselves is really important. Like, do I want to be liked or do I want to be trusted? And that doesn't take anything away from the need to be kind, right? Being, being liked. I mean, yes, we all have a natural desire to want to, nobody wants to be hated, right? But right. I can be kind and somebody can still say like, I'm not their favorite person, but my goal is to, to do it with kindness and civility. And really, but my real goal is I, I really want you to trust me and I want to have actions that reflect that. Well, and I think some of that can cross over a little bit. So recently someone said, oh, you re- you follow that guy. You really, you like him, don't you? And I said, actually, I don't, I don't like him. And I've unfollowed him since. And in my mind, what I didn't like about him was that I felt like he was judgmental and shamey and put people in uncomfortable positions for the sake of the transformation, which Mm -hmm. is not how I do business. And that's not how I relate with my customers. So there's trust in there. I wouldn't trust being in his hot seat for sure, but I don't like him because my morals and values don't match his. So 
whether, and you, this person's definitely not a people pleaser, I'll give him that, but that's not the part that I like or dislike. Yes, he smiles. Yes, he does all those things, but I still don't like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not values aligned, right? Because that, yeah, mm-hmm. I totally get that. So you can be a little bit a little bit disagreeable. And I will say in a lot of senses, when you talk about thought leadership, being disagreeable and saying something different than your industry oftentimes sets you apart as a leader in your industry and puts you in a position of authority because you are shaking things up as long mm-hmm. as they're legitimate observations and you're not just making crap up so that you yeah, can say you're a thought leader. Yeah. I think that's putting yourself out there in a different way can actually make you stand out. Yeah, I I totally agree. So in that, I have many women who will say, I don't want to stand out. I'm happy where I'm at. I I swear I'm okay just just sitting here and having my couple customers and it's just fine. I really want to meet this revenue goal, but I'm happy where I'm at. So obviously not really happy, you and Mm -hmm. I looking, reflecting. So what do you say to people who want to grow, but there's that fear part saying, but I'm happy where I'm at. I don't want to be in pictures. It's not about me. I don't want to be the face of my company. And I I don't think everyone needs to be the face of their company, but I think oftentimes there's actually some fear behind that. Can you talk a little bit about that or what you've seen? Yeah. I mean, I think fear again, is at the root of, of all of that. Uh, I think, you know, when women say, I always find it interesting when women like adamantly defend, Oh no, I'm happy where I am. I'm totally happy where I am. Like they're, they're like overly compensating for this idea that they're happy where they are. And yet in other moments, another time you hear them saying these other hopes and dreams that they have for themselves, for their business. And so those two things don't match up. So I think beneath all of that is a fear. Now, the fear is not the same for everyone. And that's why doing that work of understanding what I'm really afraid of. And I will say for a lot of women, um, it's very much the visual representation of ourselves, right? Being in photos physically, we have a, a culture in which there is a very specific ideal for a woman, right? Ideal body size, ideal age, ideal height ideal weight, ideal hair color, eye color, right? Um, all of these things, breast size, right? Like we, we know what that, every, if, I, if I say that if people are listening right now, they can conjure up an image in their head of what that perfect thing is. And it's probably something like um, a 25 year old, five foot nine, 120 pound blonde with blue eyes, right? And a, and a C cup bra, <laughs> like, right? Mm-hmm. And it pops in your head without you even wanting to think about it. Because it's, it's that ingrained it's, in us, right? Yes, yes. So if if we are using that as a model and saying, well, I don't look like that. And so who am I to put myself out there? Like, how can I compete with that? So the first thing I'll say is, there's a great quote by Teddy Roosevelt, which is comparison is the thief of joy. So if you are constantly comparing yourself especially physically as women to other women in our industry or in you know similar spaces, all you're doing is robbing yourself of an opportunity and the joy of what comes on the other side of putting yourself out there, right? But we have to really be honest with ourselves about what we're afraid of. And, you know, if I'm going to be, if I'll be honest right here today, it's, you know, I've gained a lot of weight during COVID. I've gained like 25 pounds since COVID hit. 
And I make it seem like it's a COVID issue, but it's really like that time frame, right? A lot of us are measuring time now by COVID, right? Um, right. <laughs> and so um, I don't like the way that I look right now, but the truth is that this is who I am. And yes, I used to be thinner, right? I used to be a lot thinner back when I was, you know, 25, if we're again, using that as an ideal, my dis, um, you know, disapproval of myself in this moment is something that I have to work through all the time, because the truth is that um, I'm measuring myself against a, an ideal body at an ideal age, which does not exist for me right now. And rather than just trying to push myself through weight loss, through fitness, through, you know, scary things to get myself into a place where I suddenly feel like I can show up in this world. Instead of doing that, I'm saying, you know what, this is who I am right now. And I need to keep moving forward. I need to keep showing up. But if I didn't have that honest conversation with myself about what my fear is and what I'm worried about, then I couldn't move forward. I would just continue to be stuck on that hamster wheel of like going over and over again about how I, I the negative self-talk about how I look. And it's a really challenging place for women, right? And I would also say from an age perspective, right, I'm 42 and um, I feel great about being 42. I feel like I've really come into my own once I hit 40, but I know for women who are in this age space and getting into their fifties and even sixties, you know, again, they're feeling like they're too old to be putting themselves out there. They're looking at their wrinkles, their gray hair, their whatever, and they are discrediting themselves because of it. And what I tell women all the time is the way that you look has nothing to do with your competencies. It has nothing to do with your ability to do your job. It doesn't. And so if you are constantly focused on the way that you look when you're putting yourself out there from a business perspective, you're missing the whole point. You're focusing on the wrong thing. You putting yourself out there physically is really to help you connect with your customers and your clients. They want to see the person that they're doing business with. They want to build that trust. And they can't do that if you are hidden behind all these layers. Now, you mentioned, Robin, not everybody has to put themselves out there, again, depending on your business and what you're doing. Now, for my business and your business, it is really essential. We're one-on-one -on -one working with clients. So not physically seeing me and not feeling like I'm uh, approachable, I think, can be problematic for our businesses. Um, but I, I'll go back to, to talking about the way that we look and, and how that's such a hindrance to women. Um, one of the things that I often tell women is look for other women who are similar to you on social media or in the business space. I have really found influencers and other women doing similar work who look a little bit more like me, who are around my age and maybe my height and weight. Why? Because representation matters. I need to know that there's other people out there who look like me, who are, who are doing it and frankly, killing it. And that allows me to still, I feel like there's a, I'm, I'm doing that little bit of comparison, but in the opposite sort of way, I'm finding that tribe of people to say, Hey, they're doing it. I can do this too, as opposed to they're doing it. I could never do this. And that's the big distinction. I think having your audience or your tribe be built of people that that's not why they're following you. I mean, mm -hmm. for me, I've never once had any of my paying clients or anyone in my impact group ever asked me, you know, what's going on? It looks like you gained a little weight or, boy, you look sick today or uh, robbing those roots. Mm, get on those. Like they don't care. <laughs> they're not, that's not why 
I've, I've had comments about how relatable I am and how that helped them want to do coaching with me because they knew that I would understand when the roots are getting a little long or whatever it is, yep. they don't care because that's who I choose to put in my ideal client. That's who my market is. Now, granted, anyone can sign up for things. I can't control that, but I really try to put out the vibe of that's that's the culture if you're going to work with me. So hopefully that's who it attracts are the people that are not caught up with that and not expecting me to look like a 25-year-old. Yeah. So showing that side and and just really being who you are, I think attracts the right people. Yeah. The vibe you put out um, is what you're going for. So back to your original question, how do I show up authentically in pictures and video when I'm not maybe happy with the way that I look or the way that I sound all the time? And that is the other question, right? So getting clear on what am I really afraid of by putting myself out there? And if it's that I'm unhappy with the way that I look or the way that I sound, how can I be my authentic self and be happy with the way that that looks still, right? And that's, I'm going to say, that's not easy, right? Getting professional no. photos taken, <laughs> right? Perfect middle. Yes. Getting professional photos taken, wearing clothes that fit you, that you feel good in, right? Like all those little things um, so that you're showing up in a way that you feel good and you feel confident in yourself not based on what other people are doing. That's the other thing, right? Like if everyone in your industry is showing up in a very specific sort of way, but that doesn't feel authentic to you and it doesn't make you feel confident, then don't do that. But it can be hard when you're also driving against that tide of a very kind of specific aesthetic, right? And, and to your point, sometimes, but remember that sometimes doing it a little bit differently makes you a little bit of a disruptor and can set you aside from others. I'm glad you brought up those things as well. I think ideal client, for me, I encourage clients to look at the mindset of the group of people you want to work with, not necessarily, she shops at Target and she's 35 to 52 and she, a lot of it isn't things you would be able to see physically. I don't think that matters as much as what is inside, where are they at in their struggle, what are their values, how do those align with yours, because we are not for everyone. If you have someone where you disagree on something that really matters to you, it's a really hard, it's really hard to get them to that transformation. I even say that with coachability. If you're not coachable and you've already figured it all out, I can't help you. <laughs> right. And I think it's okay to bless and release people that don't have the same mindset that will get them to that transformation. Agreed. We kind of touched on it before about fear being the real issue. But when you hear people saying, I just have never had that experience. I have never had a different experience as a female. What do you say to that? Cause I'm never really sure how it just feels like as women, the experience is different. Um, I, that's a really difficult conversation because it's most likely rooted in a lot of privilege. <laughs> Right. Uh, if, if somebody sure, has not, sure. yeah. So there's other layers of privilege in there. So while, so from an intersectionality standpoint, right, we have all these different identities that we carry with us and that's our race, our class, our gender, our sexuality, our, you know, our religion, where we live. I mean, there's so many different factors that make up our identity, whether or not we're a mother or a sister or a wife or right. All these things. And 
for folks who say, you know, that they've never experienced any form of oppression or any struggles with perfectionism, people pleasing, right? Any of these things that are traditionally associated with women, I would offer either they're not paying attention or they don't, they don't recognize, they haven't done the, the kind of the deep dive and, and reflection to identify how it may have impacted decision-making at some point, or it may have caused them um, to go down a specific road, or they have so much privilege in those other spaces that they have been shielded from it. And that could be in their childhood upbringing. Um, And privilege isn't just money. I mean, we often think of privilege as money, but if you were, you know, in a household where you had two incredibly progressive parents who were able to instill in you these very specific values that allowed you to rise above all of right the societal pressures that are coming at you. I mean, that would kind of be a miracle. And I would say a case study, <laughs> like, how does that happen? <laughs> because it's so pervasive coming at us. But I would say everybody is affected. Everyone is affected um, by society and culture. And um, for women in particular, our experiences are different from those of men. And if you don't take the time to really reflect on the ways in which your experience is different, you're actually doing a disservice to, to other genders as well. So as a woman, if I said like, uh, I've had the exact same experience as all men, and I've never been oppressed as a woman, I've never experienced any of these things that you're talking about. Um, if I was a man listening to that, I'd be like, how is that possible? Like I have unique experiences as a man as well that, and these, right. And their own struggles, right. Um, so that's, that's what I would say that I would look for the privilege. And then I would also, I would also say that there's probably some more deep diving that they need to do. But with that, I would say, um, sometimes folks do not want to do a deep dive because there is something maybe traumatic that happened along the way or something that's preventing them from really digging deep into where they are right now. And I, I respect that and understand that, but it does make it difficult to coach someone or mentor someone. Um, if there's no willingness to, to keep looking, um, even for those little, maybe small pockets where it's had an impact on their lives. I feel like that can come into play with the whole being in pictures. You and I had talked before we started recording about, people giving away too many things for free and saying that that's just what they want to do. And that's, that's okay. And they're fine with working for free. Um, also the whole being humble mm-hmm. that, um, I don't want to talk about myself. I, it's just about my customers. It's not about me. All of those things. I feel like underneath there's probably more to it and more to why one thing would bother one person and not bother someone else. So I don't mind being in pictures, but there's no way I'm going on a stage or I don't mind doing this. I don't mind charging a lot or more, let's say higher than my industry, but you will not see my face. And so I feel like our unique experiences throughout our lives have probably made one thing feel really scary and one thing feel not based on maybe what someone said once or something we struggled with in childhood. I don't know, not to get all psychological, but um, I I love the idea of really reflecting on what, why that, why does that feel so scary for you? Yeah. And I think it is to your point, it is kind of hard because you start digging and sometimes you uncover something that you weren't expecting in yourself. Um, And, you know, I want to give people credit when they say, I really don't want to do this, right? There's things in our lives that we are just like, I have zero desire. I'll use skiing as an example. 
I <laughs> was asked to go on a skiing trip by my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time. And there's no part of my whole being that had any desire to go skiing, but I really liked him. So I went and it was as disastrous as I could have expected it was going to be, despite my best efforts, right? I went, I took the classes, all that good stuff. And after that, I was like, yeah, that was that I was, I, I, I should have listened to myself a little bit more. Um, and I really had zero desire to do that. I just didn't want to, there was no part of me that wanted to. So when I think about some of these things, I do want to acknowledge that folks might say, like, sure. I really have no desire to get up on stage and I don't really see a need for my business. Right. And I want to honor that and, and say, some people are just being truly honest with themselves in that moment. Right. Um, and also I will say that there are a lot of folks who use, um, that as a front for the fear that they're really experiencing. And how do you, how do you separate those two? That's not easy. I mean, it comes with good coaching. I know the work you do with your clients is amazing in that regard, because first you have to create a safe space of trust where you can ask those difficult questions. You can push somebody a little bit into those conversations and say, you know, what if, what would that look like? What would that look like if you did get up on that stage and shared your expertise and really using it as an opportunity to say, you have a message to share with a greater audience that would have an impact and a legacy to leave after you that would have an impact on other people's lives, you know, and, and coaching them through and encouraging them through like why that's so important. Because what I would offer is that a lot of women would change their tone and say, really, do you think so? And if that's the response you get, at the root of that is they did not believe they were worthy, that they were capable. They did not have the confidence to do it, right? They were afraid that they were not ready. And so in those other conversations, you might be able to get to the root of it. Because if you just say, what are you afraid of? You're not going to get, you're not going to get the response you think you're going to get because it's not right. quite that simple. It's, it's steeped in so many different layers. Um, but the other piece you were talking about, Robin, is that idea of um, humility. So we often use humility as a like moral high ground for why we're not doing this. And so at the conference, we talked about the spectrum, the spectrum where on one end we have, you know, Jesus Christ's humble self, right? Like that kind of like ideal humility, uh, humbleness. And on the other side, we have the, I won't curse, but like the jerk who is the braggadocious blowhole. Now I'm using two men as examples. So forgive me, but, um, you know, if we see any form of sharing our accomplishments, of putting our face out there, of getting up on a stage as a version of that braggadocious blowhole, we won't do it. So we have to recognize where we're associating our level of comfort with putting ourselves out there with this spectrum. Now, on the other side is the humility and the humbleness. And so if we as women say, oh, I can't put myself on my website. I just, I want to be humble. It's not about me. It's not, it's about the work. And I would offer yes. And being humble is a wonderful quality to have, but here's the deal. Women have been socialized their whole lives to be humble, to be quiet, to be thoughtful about others, to think about other people's feelings first and, you know, put themselves last uh, as mothers. That's like the first thing you're taught is that your children come first, your children come first, right? That is an act of humility. And so we're already way far along on that humility spectrum. All I'm asking you to do is, is let that pendulum swing to the middle. I'm not asking you to go to the braggadocious blowhole side of things. I'm just asking you to move that pendulum to the middle where you step your toe into putting yourself 
uh, front and center on your website, where you put yourself, you know, in an opportunity to speak publicly, where you talk about your accomplishments with other women and share the wonderful work that we're doing at the conference. I had a very, um, I don't know how willing of a participant she was, but we, we brought one of your clients up on, on stage to talk about this. And in those few moments, I learned about her vast knowledge, skills, and expertise that she was not sharing with the world. And I looked at her, this beautiful, gorgeous woman, and I could see how she was comparing herself to other people in her industry, other women, uh, even comparing herself to her clients who are are young children, right? And saying that, like, I feel so old around them um, and saying, like, the work should speak for itself. And what I offer is that the work doesn't often speak for itself. That's not the culture and the business culture we live in. We have to push it out there. We have to promote it. We have to be willing to say the work that we're doing. But here's the thing. That's not bragging. Sharing what you do, taking ownership of your accomplishments and your experience is not bragging. That's not rubbing it in people's faces. That's merely stating what you do. And if you're unwilling to do it for yourself, do it for the other women around you because you might serve as a model for them, right? Imagine if you sharing that you have this level of expertise. And for this woman in particular, she, she knows ALS. So she was literally signing up on stage a few times we were up there. And I was so like, that's amazing. And how do you know ALS? And now I have so many questions for you. I want to understand this, right? Um, putting that out there, if you inspired one woman around you and motivated her to do something different, to reach for something, isn't that worth it? Because to me, it is. That's why I do the work that I do, right? So remembering that spectrum, I think, is really crucial and and plotting ourselves along that line. And it's going to change over time, but knowing where we stand on that line and uh, and always trying to 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 adjust it just so we're slightly outside of our comfort zone. And I think people forget that you you can tiptoe out yeah. of your comfort zone. It's not jumping off a cliff. Yes, I'm. I, I am always looking for speakers for my events and it's hard to find people. I feel like it's getting harder to find people that are an expert in their industry and willing to speak publicly about it. I'm not looking for like my conference does not have the person who is a keynote speaker and that's all they do is inspirational speeches. That's not what we're looking for. I'm looking for a copywriter who's going to come and speak on her expertise to our group. That's what I'm looking for. Those are really hard to find. So whenever I encourage clients or people to do that, oh my God, I could never do that. Oh, I hate public speaking. That just sounds like the worst. You hear everything. I'm not asking you to go do a TED talk or a keynote speech in front of hundreds of people. I'm just asking for you to start thinking about it, start picturing yourself, visualizing yourself on the stage, and then do some little baby steps. Maybe you lead a coffee group that's four people and that's your first step. Or maybe it's just recording your voice or being on a podcast. The first time I saw myself in the newsfeed that I didn't post, I was mortified. I'm scrolling. I'm like, oh my God, that's me. What am I doing there? Who posted about me? What is the, you know, all the terrible things you're like, oh, it's for the speaking event I'm doing next month. Okay. But it was a really a surreal experience. And it took me a minute to say, it's okay. You gave them that picture. It's okay for them to use it. This is the goal. It was a professional picture. Now I will say event promoters, please use the picture that people send you. One time I had someone 
use a picture I did not send them. It was a long picture versus the square. So it was me from my head to my knees. Oh, no. So when Facebook mushes it to a square. It was it just your torso? It was just my breasts. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I recognize that dress. That's the folder I'm holding in my pictures. Yep, that's me. <laughs> it's not my face. That's what's in the scroll. So those moments, then you contact the person and say, can you please use this picture and delete that? one as well. But I think that's but a I good just, example. I had of, to laugh and it is what it is. Yeah. Know? And it's, it's not always going to go right. Right. So we'll go back, going back to perfectionism, like these things are, are you're, there's going to be missteps and mistakes along the way. You're, you're, somebody's going to post a picture of you. That is not flattering. I do a ton of speaking engagements inevitably. And I talk with my hands yeah. constantly and yeah. inevitably I have some weird expression on my face. There's a double chin showing. I have my hand. It looks like a claw in the air. I mean, it's not always flattering. Um, so I am going to criticize that, but here's the deal. What I usually look at is what is in the caption. What is somebody writing about me? what is below it? And nine times out of 10, it's after an event and somebody is giving me a compliment. Somebody is telling me that they really enjoyed. So here I am focused on the way that I look and that person is not, that person is focused on what they got out of that experience because we have our, right. We're, we're focused on the wrong thing in those moments, but back to what you said, I, it, it is those baby steps. I love those actionable items that you just gave to help people take the baby steps towards these things that you don't have to take this flying leap off a cliff. It, that's not necessary, but making a plan to get a little closer to some of those things and reevaluating along the way, like, how are you feeling in those moments, you know, and asking for some feedback, which is always tricky, but asking people you trust, not necessarily the people who will just tell you what you want to hear, but using, you know, and I know Robin, you have great groups that you mastermind groups that you're working with and things like that. Those are great spaces to get some feedback, to talk to folks, right. To make those connections with um, other people to say, Hey, could, could you, you know, not how do I look, but like, does this resonate with you? Do you, would, is there another way to word this? Right. Or is there another, you know, would you like to see a different kind of action shot? Somebody at the conference shared a certain photo. Um, it was your photographer. And she was saying how the, the photo that she's gotten the most compliments on as a photographer was a picture taken of her. That was not the most flattering picture, but it was her in action. And that's such a great lesson that getting that feedback, I think can help us again, reinforce the positive things that we're doing. And then the big fear is that we suck at it and we're not improving. So if you're not asking for feedback to improve this new thing that you're trying, then you aren't going to get better at it because yeah. you're not getting feedback from anyone. So you That's also need to, yes, you need to ask, because if you just keep putting yourself out there and never asking for feedback and never getting it, and you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you could very well be at the same point you were when you started. And that's not the goal. The goal is to continuously grow and improve in these ways, especially when you know that you're green. So I, I would offer that is another additional scary thing. Unfortunately, we have to do is ask people to tell us what they think about it. And um, for a lot of folks, that is is almost more terrifying than putting ourselves out there is then the actual response. But again, we're asking people who we trust, who know us and know our business, where we have a safe space, where we can take that input. And um, again, one of my favorite quotes is from Hillary Rodden Clinton, which is take criticism or feedback, 
seriously, not personally. Take it seriously. Take it objectively about your business, right? This is a business tactic that you're using. This is not about you, Robin, the individual entrepreneur. This is about your business. And this is these are marketing and communications tactics, and we're going to look at them objectively, right? And when you can separate yourself a little bit from it, um, you'll find you have a lot more grace. And you also remove those emotions that we feel, right? They won't be gone completely, but you can reduce your emotional attachment in those moments, which then makes it more productive for you and your business. I think that's where coaching comes in too. So when you work with someone and they can take those baby steps and then come back to you and say, oh my God, Rebecca, I did it. Okay. This is the part that felt really awful. This is the part that felt great. And you can help sort through, well, this part's not really in your natural strengths. So that's, you know, or how are we going to bring that through? So I think having a coach like you to work with when it feels uncomfortable is huge. No one else is in the room or on the zoom Yep. and they have your full attention and they can be vulnerable. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, um, the whole coaching relationship is based on trust and, and vulnerability and knowing that you have that person that you can go to already, like knowing that they're there for you makes taking those steps a little less scary because you know, there's somebody who understands the journey with you and can also provide you with some really honest feedback and advice about moving forward. But when you're doing it in isolation, the fear can really take a hold of you. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's one of the biggest things that holds back small business owners, especially women who had a different career and are now doing a business is doing it alone. I think it stunts your growth a lot by not being in with other women or with a coach or with someone pushing you along and giving you feedback. Well, and I'll tell you when I first got started, I, um, I had my, I was working through my own fears about that because I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and getting into a group of other women who had already started their journey. I was feeling like I was being way more vulnerable than I wanted to be right. Being around other women who maybe knew more than I did about this and feeling stupid. I mean, nobody wants to feel stupid, right? It's the thing that we're often sheltering ourselves from and putting up those walls, right? And so there's that desire like to be like, I'm just going to try to figure this out as much as I can on my all by myself and have like a certain, once I have a certain level of competency, then I will like pull other people in and start sharing and right? Not recognizing that you're going to get a lot farther with a coach. You're going to get a lot farther with a group of people, with a mastermind, with a cohort and all of those people in your group, hopefully, and I know this is how your groups are, are have been where you are. Like everybody is has a shared experience um, and we're there to support one another. It's but but again, we can get really into our um our own heads about what we don't know and focus heavily on that instead of what we have to learn and where we have to go. And you're never gonna be ready. Like you're no. never gonna hit that bar that now I'm ready to be in this group. Or now I'm ready to work with a coach. There's no, there's no written rule of where that, that line is. No, agree. So if someone wants to do something they're feeling uncomfortable about, or they're wanting to grow their career and they want to work with you, do you have a certain industry you work with? Can you tell us a little about who's a good fit to work with you or things that you work on with people? So I predominantly work with leaders in nonprofit spaces, mostly schools. 
And, and I, I specify in that industry because there's such a deep need there. And I really love that industry. I love being a part of it. And I wanted to have a positive impact on that industry. But having said that, and I know you've had many conversations about niching down. When I prospect, I prospect in schools and in nonprofit spaces, but I do get referrals from all sorts of different industries. And I love working with people from other industries because it does help inform, right, how I talk with leaders across industries and, and lessons learned, right? So when it comes to one-on-one -on -one coaching, I do have clients in a variety of industries, uh, mostly nonprofits. And I use the term emerging leaders. Um, my favorite clients are, they don't have to be young. So when I say emerging, it doesn't mean you're young, although some of my clients are in their 20s. Um, but it's really folks who are recent, have recently been promoted to a director level position. They're in their first leadership position um, and recently can be within the last year or two, right? And they're still getting their footing perhaps, or they're feeling like, man, I thought I had this, but now I'm realizing I really don't have this. Um, before that burnout sets in, I really love when they call me and say, I know I can do this, but man, I'm just kind of struggling right now. A lot of times folks haven't ever managed other people. Um, like they've never had direct reports. And so those sorts of things are very much able to be taught, right? In, in a skills-based setting, um, all the while we're talking about everything else that's happening around you, right? Your family life, your personal life, um, and how those things impact your ability to show every, up every day as your authentic self. And, and so we define your authentic leadership style and we go through a journey together um, on uncovering some of those things. So that's our my one-on-one -on -one coaching and the industries that I really enjoy. I do a ton of speaking engagements. So unlike some of your clients, public speaking is like one of my favorite things to do. I just really enjoy it. Um, I love bringing energy and enthusiasm. And some of that is a function of like, I've seen a lot of bad speakers over the years who I shouldn't say bad, but like folks who just didn't really motivate or inspire me. And when I saw that I, I was bringing a lot of energy when I was speaking, I thought, I think people want this. I know I do. And so, you know, how can I use my expertise and bring some energy into other spaces? So I work with um, organizations to come in as a guest speaker. I'm doing a lot with employee resource groups. So corporations and organizations that have women's affinity groups who are looking for speakers to come in and talk about these types of topics. Um, I love those groups because they're looking for ways, especially in those male-dominated fields, to still be authentically women and recognize their, their strengths and their weaknesses as women and bring that to the workplace without feeling like they have to hide that part of themselves. And then I am doing some consulting work with schools and organizations who are looking to make their space is more inclusive for women leaders. And so that's how, what does your leadership track look like? How can we create, you know, an emerging leader track for women within our organization, you know, succession planning, what does that look like? So kind of coming in and working with their senior leadership to develop the, that programming for them. And so folks reach out to me. If, if you're looking to find me, I have a website, which is pleasantly aggressive. All of my social media is pleasantly aggressive. And we'll put all those links in the show notes as well. So you can just scroll down to those and connect with Rebecca. Well, this was wonderful. This went way longer than most of my podcasts and I'm so excited that it did. So thank you for being so generous with your time and also for speaking at the conference. And I hope to stay in touch and, and keep meeting up with you. Yes. Thank you so much, Robin. The conference was such a great opportunity. I'm so grateful for you um, that you host these spaces for women in business. And I really enjoy speaking with you today. So thank you. 
Thank you, Rebecca. What a great thought-provoking conversation. Be sure to check out the show notes so that you guys can connect with Rebecca online. You can also check out the Impact Business Circle or Lakeside Conference in the show notes. Now go get back to work. <laughs>